Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we have one of our favorite guests and perhaps our favorite person in Patriots media, definitely the best looking person in Patriots media, that's for sure. Phil Perry, the senator, is on with us. We also have 5-Minute Fantasy. It's a hell of a show, so buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has it. Wilson, quick throw. And it's Perhaps the best looking guy in Patriots media and also, like me, the second smartest person in your household. Thank you so much for coming on. We love having you. We appreciate you. I can't give you a great compliment without also bringing you down a peg, too. You know what I mean? Like, that's there's no well, there's no doubt about that. I would say um, all of your statements were false until that one about uh, <laughs> here now. But I appreciate it. Double barrel compliments. I mean, you guys are you guys really softened me up, and uh, I'm I'm good to go for like seven hours now. Let's go. <laughs> That's good. That was the plan. That was the plan all along. We're like, oh, we just we'll keep him on extra long tonight. Uh, so you you had Mark Schofield, our 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 guy from Pat's Pulpit, on with you this week on your show, Next Pat's uh, Podcast. People that aren't listening to it, you need to be listening to it. You should be, but you you know, hopefully you are. Um, you guys talked about Mac a little bit. Just talk about what you saw from Mac today and, and or this week, I should say, and uh, and what you expect from him moving forward. Man, the, the number one thing that stood out to me was just the toughness because that was the one thing we really hadn't had the opportunity to see this summer, right? You're down there at training camp. You can see he's accurate. You can see he generally makes good decisions when you're watching him go through these joint practices. You can't see how he's going to react when someone, you know, is full tilt and lowers a shoulder into his ribs and, and how it looks the plays immediately thereafter. So that to me, the fact that he continued to get up and continue to throw accurately and continue to throw accurately when under duress, that to me was the most impressive thing. I would also say if you're a Patriots fan, it should also be the thing that maybe scares you the most. <laughs> Not that Mac Jones handled the punishment the way he did, but the fact that he was punished as often as he was, I counted, he was picking up, he was picking himself up off the ground on 11 different occasions on 44 dropbacks, including penalties. That's just way too many. You can't be going down one out of every four drop packs. You're not going to survive the season that way. And they obviously need him to, to be a competitive football team. So that, you know, might've been the most pleasant surprise, but also maybe the scariest thing to come out of that game. 
Yeah, I agree. I I agree hundred percent. Like the, the, the willingness to take that hit and you're right. Like he, he doesn't have the NFL body just yet, but the willingness to take the hit, I think is huge. And, and Hunter Henry talked about it, right? Where it shows a lot to the, to the guys in the locker room that he's willing to stand back there and wait for the guy to get open if he needs to. And he's willing to take that hit. And that's a great thing. But like you say, it's like, let's dial it down a little bit for, for, uh, for the next few weeks. Yeah. I mean, you just got to figure out what, what's going on up there up front. I mean, listen, the dolphins in some ways, I think were the worst matchup that the Patriots could have seen in week one, just because of the number of things they do defensively because of how talented they are on the outside with those two corners because of Brian Flores's institutional knowledge of what the Patriots want to do on the other side of it. I mean, we're going to look back at that game and it's going to be one of the two or three hardest games he played all year. In my opinion, that's, that's how we're going to look at the thing. Just everything combined first pro game hasn't really been hit yet all summer, 24 blitzes. He drops back 23 times. He completes 19 of his passes in those situations. I mean, that's remarkable. Even the fact that, you know, went back and looked at it of those 24 blitzes, the dolphins really only pressured him on those 24 snaps seven times. It's really good. And that's because he's getting the ball up quickly because he's identifying it before it gets to him because he's adjusting protections because the offensive line is good and they know what they're doing too. And so I think the way they handled those pressures was a really good sign moving forward for him. And I think again, when he was hit, that's just an added benefit because you don't want that to continue to happen. And odds are for him to go, I think I had him as nine for 13 when he was under pressure so different from being blissed when he's actually under pressure, nine for 13. That's really good. I also don't know if that's sustainable. What, you know, the numbers would tell you over long periods of time, quarterback play under pressure is really wildly unpredictable. And so it looked good. You just don't want to be in that situation too often. Yeah. The other thing too, for me was, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but Brian Flores spoke about it after the game, you know, how they challenged him. you know, different looks, different types of pressures. Um, Miami's going to do that to a lot of teams, right? I, I think the, the offensive line wasn't great, right? I think aside from David Andrews, they definitely had some issues there. Uh, but I, like I said, with that pass rush and the people they have up front, I think they're going to do that to a lot of quarterbacks. So like you said, I mean, just looking back in, five, six, seven weeks, that'll be maybe his most impressive game. Like he might throw more touchdowns or have more yards, but considering the circumstances, I, I was, I don't remember a rookie coming in their first start in that type of atmosphere, having that much success. And the other thing too, is he just got better and better as the game got on. Uh, and you start to wonder too, cause it was very conservative at first. Like I said, you know, they wanted to get the run game going. It was pretty evident. And then when the, you know, back half of that second half, they kind of started to open up a little bit, and I think you'll start to see that this week, right? Maybe they'll start to take a little bit more chances with him down the field uh, because he's earned it, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a couple different things. I think it's, number one, you're probably, as a team, coaching staff, players, you're probably more confident in the guy after that performance, and so maybe you do feel like you can feel better about him cutting it loose a little bit more often. But number two, and I think more importantly, is just the schemes are different. And, you know, it's not to say that Robert Sala isn't going to blitz Mac Jones. He will. And his Niners defense blitzed on just over 50% of their third down snaps last year. So, uh, that you know, that's a pretty significant number. So he's going to bring heat, especially in critical situations, probably red zone as well. And he might bring even a little bit more 
than the the 10 or 12 or you know whatever we're used to seeing from those Niners on a week-to-week basis blitzes because of what he saw from Miami now we're just talking about how well Mac handled it he did and I'll maintain that but if you look at the numbers a lot of those plays even if they're completions I think the defense would consider wins meaning of those 24 snaps when he was blitzed and the 19 completions that he had it was 19 completions for about 150 yards now my math is is always shaky but I believe that checks out to a yards per attempt figure when blitzed of just over six, which is not good. I mean, in the, the NFL in 2021, you've got to be around that that seven range in in pretty much all situations, you know. So if if you're a defense, did you get to him as often as you would have liked? They only sacked him once, so probably not. But it wasn't like he was killing them over the top. And so I wonder if Robert Sala sees that from week one and he says, you know, let's dial it up a little bit more. And if he wants to take the shorter passes because he sees the blitz coming from the corner and he knows James White in the flat is going to be wide open for four yards and he, want, he wants to take that, let him take that because we're okay with a four-yard pass. You know, if as long as he's not hitting Nelson Aguilar for 40 over the top. So that's the, that's the risk-reward that defense coordinators are going to have to weigh when they're going against this guy moving forward. Yeah, and while we're talking about rookie quarterbacks, I wanted to flip it over to the other side of the ball. I know we love talking Mac, but Zach Wilson, despite getting plummeted into the earth by Carolina, he had a pretty good game, all things considered, right? So I just wanted to ask what you think about Belichick, 21-6 and versus rookie quarterbacks, kind of the way they're going to approach him, because I don't think he's like anybody they've seen recently. Maybe you'd have to go back to a Deshaun Watson type for a rookie quarterback that has the skill set that he has. Yeah, that's an interesting comp. I was just talking to Ted Johnson earlier tonight, and, and he came up with the same name. Uh, and it was interesting. My name was, and for a lot of people, will be slightly less impressive. Uh, but this guy was a pretty good quarterback, too. And he's he's in the news now because his praise for Zach Wilson was, like, way over the top. He's talking about him as the next Patrick Mahomes. It's Tony Romo. Could Zach Wilson be the next Tony Romo? Athletic guy, quick release. I think Wilson's arm is probably a little bit better. But Tony Romo was a gunslinger man I mean he was moving around making plays with his feet it was playground football and you know that's that's part of you know a big part of what Zach Wilson's game is I think right now um you know they're, they're also both you know Eastern Illinois is a significantly smaller program than BYU but neither guy really was coming from the best of the best in terms of the the collegiate game and so um you know we're Either way, we're talking about two really good NFL quarterbacks in Watson and Romo, and there's probably a bunch of other comps in there too that are more reasonable than Mahomes that would lead you to believe he's going to be pretty good. I think he's going to be pretty good. I think he's just young. He's coming, again, from a program and a conference that just didn't ask him to do some of the same things that Mac Jones had to know how to do going against SEC defenses. And so there's a steep, steep learning curve for Zach Wilson right now, but the skills are off the charts. And if he has, you know, we're talking so much about processing with Mac, right? If he has some of the processing chops that Mac Jones has, he doesn't have to be on Mac Jones's level right now. But if he's if he's close, he's gonna be a really good player. So I would be excited if if I'm a Jets fan right now. The first half against Carolina was pretty ugly, but I think he showed you some things in terms of, you know, he he was, looked like he's a pretty tough guy too. He got, like you said, he got buried on a handful of occasions, popped up, still made some pretty impressive throws. So. Um, you know, it'll be it'll be a fun one on Sunday because you mentioned the Belichick matchup of the six losses. I heard this stat this week. Those six losses against rookie quarterbacks, I believe they all were on the road. 
Obviously, the Patriots are on the road this weekend. Yeah, they, they're like thirteen and zero at home or something like that. Yeah, eight and six on the road, eleven and zero at home, I believe. There you go. So, so let's so defensively, right? What do you think the game plan is defensively? Because we saw, you know, now I, I know it was an incompletion, but Brian Burns gets in the backfield. One of the, you know, one of the most athletic linebackers in the NFL gets in the backfield and is chasing him down, and he just shakes him and rolls out to the right and throws an absolute rocket to uh, to Corey Davis. Ended up a little bit behind him, but like that's one of those plays where you're like, oh my god, like that ability's crazy, and so you worry if you send too much at him, you know, do you run the risk of him being able to get out of the pocket? So. I'm curious, do you think they attack him a little bit, or do you think they maybe sit back and try to confuse him with with some of the coverages? Yeah, it's one of the things that Mark Schofield was was telling me about after he had had sort of done his deep dive on Zach Wilson's film, where he said, you know, there are, there are going to be opportunities to pressure him. And I know, according to Pro Football Focus, he was only 3 for 11 against the Blitz. So it wasn't like Carolina was coming after him snap after snap. But when they did, it was, it was typically pretty effective. And I think he's a guy who will expose himself to some hits because he's so confident in his ability, right? Whether it's throwing back across his body or just extending plays because he's a great athlete and he feels like he can get a throw off from any angle he can, but he's going to open himself up to taking some damage in those situations. If he continues to do that. So I'm not sure it'll be a heavy blitz game for the Patriots. I think he's probably athletic enough where he's going to be one of these guys that they really try to keep in the pocket they force him to be a real quarterback. They're not going to let him play playground football. They're going to keep him in the well, crush rush. You're going to see some of those big bodies out there, probably even in passing situations, whether it's Lawrence Guy or Devon Godshaw or, um, you know, Dietrich Wise, you know, guys that they trust to just go right down the middle of your blocker, take him and walk him back into the pocket and see if he can sit in there comfortably and make decisions on time. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's the same tactic that they use with Mahomes. It's the same tactic they've used with Aaron Rodgers. These are the high, high-end comps that Zach Wilson has been given since before the draft. Uh, but I think that's how the Patriots will probably try to play it. And I have a question, too, about, about their secondary, because I think that was kind of overlooked going into uh, or kind of coming out of that Miami game, right? No Stephon Gilmore. You know, when will he be on the field? Who knows, right? The earliest he can be back is week seven. Uh, but I think that cornerback two-spot, right? Like Jalen Mills, I don't think he necessarily – played you know too bad but he made a nice play on Wilson in the end zone but I think he got initially beat that ball was a little underthrown from Tua if you look at kind of the film he was beat downfield I think that's a big visit from my uh my film watching cohort here how we doing okay (laughs) (laughs) um no I just curious like I think that's a that's a weakness and we talked about it kind of over the week uh some of the shows that uh, you know I've been on that's a tough spot for them that cornerback too, right? I, you know, been kind of beating the drum to get Jawan Williams an opportunity, right? He's been crowded in that cornerback room with a lot of depth in the past few years. He has the length and kind of the physicality they like at that outside corner spot. Uh, but it seems like it's kind of a, you know, it's a cluster out there, right? They, they That's a definitely a weakness for them. And going up against Keelan Cole, who um, did some things against the Patriots, you know, back in, 2018 when when he was with Jacksonville and then Corey Davis on the other side, uh, you saw Miami be able to kind of get the ball to, to their skill players in space. Um, I think that's kind of being overlooked kind of going forward, how they fill that void. That's a cluster. That was a great word for it. I mean, it's exactly what it is right now because 
they don't have someone they can trust at that at that number two spot, Specs. In my opinion, you know, I know they ran out J- Jalen Mills. Um, he, he was out there. It seemed like basically for the majority of the time, opposite J.C. Jackson, Jawan Williams got plenty. You know, got enough work, I think, as well. Um, I just think without Gilmore, it complicates the entire structure of it, right? Because now you're not mirroring. You don't have your number one to say, Parker's your guy, follow him across the field all day long. J.C. Jackson, whether it's Preston Williams or, you know, whoever else, you're you're the number two, follow him everywhere he goes. Jonathan Jones, you're our undersized, undersized, really fast guy. Go follow their undersized, really fast guy, Jalen Waddell, all game long. And it just simplifies everything. Now, week one, you're basically playing sides. J.C. Jackson was on the defensive left, it felt like, um, all game. And Jalen Mills or Jawan Williams was opposite. And you ran into mismatches. I mean, they, early in the game, they had Jalen Waddle wide in a two tight end set, lined up across from Jalen Mills, who might be their slowest defensive back. It, the guy just ran a or you know, was assumed to be able to run a 4-2 coming out of Alabama. It's just not a good matchup. And, and I think they're forced into maybe saying, well, we got to simplify things because we don't have Steph. And, you know, that number two guy, there's going to be a lot on his plate. And so let's keep it as simple as possible. So stick him on one side and see what happens. It's just not ideal. And you're right. I don't know what you do about it now. Gilmore's not coming back till week seven. Um, I would, if it were me, I would just trust Jonathan Jones a little bit more to, to not play the slot. I, I think it's okay for him to play outside. You know, I, he's just competitive enough. He's fast enough to do it. Even if he's going against a guy who's slightly bigger, you know, it's not a great matchup, but sort of is what it is at this point. You know, I, I just – I'm not sure either Williams or Mills has the speed to really match up against a true outside-the-numbers wideout. And if you want them out there, they need some help. So, you know, now your defense is not suffering in another area, but you're compensating and you're leaving yourself maybe vulnerable to something else. So it's just – the, the toughest thing about it is I don't know what you do. Um, and, you know, maybe the answer is is getting Sean Wade up to speed and and seeing what he can do. I, honestly, that's I would try that because I think he has something from a speed perspective that the other guys really don't. And he has great length, not as long as Jawan Williams. Nobody is. But he's got 33 and a half inch arms. He has the tools to play outside. He really never did it well at Ohio State. Was that because of injury, because of coaching? Who knows? Um, but people I've spoken to that know him really well think really highly of his football IQ. Uh, I talked to Jeff Halfley recently, who is the BC head coach now, but um, coached Wade at Ohio State when Ohio, when Wade was great in the slot for Ohio State. Uh, and Halfley said he was really kind of one of the nerve centers for that defense. He, he ran through all his adjustments through Wade. Uh, but Halfley brought up two interesting names that'll be interesting to you guys because he coached at Rutgers as well. And he coached Logan Ryan and Deron Harmon. And he said, Sean Wade knows football like those guys know football, which is really high praise. And I think people here in New England would appreciate that more than, than other people around the league because you watch a lot of Patriots football. You know how smart those two guys are. And so yeah. maybe Wade, somebody who can get caught up to speed relatively quickly and the tools work out and, and he ends up playing a real role for you here soon. He's obviously a project, right? Like, who knows how long it'll take, but that's a guy who was in first-round conversation. If Say say he opted out last year like a Jamar Chase or someone like that. He probably hears his name back into the first round, early second round, because his junior year tape was awesome, right? And like you said, put him outside. He had problems. 
I remember the Cornell Powell snapped his ankles in the college football playoff. That was the, you know, the rest in peace to him. And he ends up going on day three, right? So, um, I mean, I didn't know that. That's obviously high praise. I think that's a guy that will ultimately pan out here just because he's bought in. And uh, we'll be looking back on that trade hopefully in a few years and be like, wow, we got him for for nothing. And they didn't even take a chance on him. So, I mean, in fairness, Jared Stidham was also uh, probably going to be a first-round pick if he didn't play another year. So, Listen, we know how we feel here about Jared Stidham, but the truth is the truth. But, um, you know, and I agree with you about the man coverage, like watching those quick slant plays, especially on, you know, the play action quick slant where Tua knew where's going, the linebackers bite up and they're running a zone coverage. And so there's just no one there to, you know, take that slant away. And Waddle takes it, you know, took one of them for like 20, 25 yards because the first guy missed him because he's too damn fast. Right. And so if you, if you, if you have a situation like that and, the Jets can do that because they have two running backs in Coleman and Michael Carter that can both kind of play that role to, you know, be a receiver out of the backfield or, you know, kind of run that mesh type thing that that Miami was running. And so, you know, that's a challenge if you have to run zone with a defense that loves to run man. And so, um, you know, we'll see. But that's another another thing that that can, you know, put pressure on the Patriots going into this uh, going into this matchup, I think. And you just look at, you know, most teams have more than one really good receiver. So, you know, even if you're a big believer in J.C. Jackson. Does he he can come on the show if he wants. Maybe he has something to say. Yeah, maybe he's got a take. No, he's good. He's uh, like his dad. He loves to eat way way late so yep. uh we're gonna figure we'll figure out a snack for him in a couple minutes here but um he'll be fine he'll be fine he uh he is somebody who believes in jc jackson as i do um, as, a, as a legitimate listen i don't know if he's a number one you know he's definitely he's obviously not a to me he's not a defensive player of the year caliber corner right there there aren't very many but you need more than one. And and I think the Jets, the, like Sneaky is a good example of that. Remember what happened to them last year with Denzel Mims? I mean, Denzel Mims, they made look like a real player. And he's had a hard time kind of getting his feet under him here at the NFL level, except for against the Patriots, apparently. So, like, you know, I, you can look at it and say, well, Corey Davis is really their one threat. And then, you know, you could stick J.C. Jackson on him. And then after that, like, shrug your shoulders. Like, I don't know who else is going to kill them. Well, you know, they've got a guy there who had a really good game against them pretty recently. Um, who's, I don't even know if he's like a, a long-term NFL player based on what he's shown, but, but he burned you last year. So I, I just think, you know, they, unfortunately for them, they've just been left kind of thin at that position in part because, you know, obviously because of Gilmore, but they didn't draft anybody at that position. You know, they, the one guy they brought in was Mills, who was sort of viewed as like the super sub and very versatile. And that was his strength. But now you're, you're forced to kind of pigeonhole him to him into a role that um, I don't think he was he was signed for. So now you're hoping that the front seven can help make up for whatever it is that they're lacking on the back end and, and speed these quarterbacks up. That's a that's a perfect segue into my next question, because the Jets offensive line, I mean, that's kind of the big story this week is 
Mackay Becton's out, right? They're gonna they're gonna have to flop the tackles around a little bit. You got Morgan Moses and George Fan, but the interior got abused. I, I mentioned it earlier by Carolina. Carolina ran a ton of stunts with like rookie defensive tackles. Derek Brown's there too, but really young guys, and they still the, the Jets' offensive line couldn't really communicate last week. So I, I want to know what you think about. If the Patriots are going to be able to do that with Wilson, who's a guy who maybe after seeing it last week is going to be able to adjust and maybe call out his own protections or just escape a, a rush like that. Or if you think, like you said earlier, kind of straight line, keep him in the pocket and make him throw it on you. But, you know, like you just mentioned with the with the corners, who knows what what's the best way to way to play them from the, the front seven standpoint. Uh, now that now that you're mentioning that, I, I would say you know, the crush rush where you're just bull rushing right into your guy and trying to swallow him in the pocket. That's one way to do it. This might be a, a good week to see because he's going to hold on to the football, I think, and try to make plays down the field. And because you might have time to allow these things to develop, you know, these, these TE stunts that the Patriots really like these two and three man games, these flush plays where you see, you know, the whoever's on the edge outside linebacker, you know, kind of crash down, and take out a body so that the tackle can loop around or vice versa, the me games, the you games, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think you can use movement in that way to a get after Wilson, because again, I think he'll allow um, the Patriots some time for those types of things to develop because sometimes they need a little bit of time, but B when you have changes along the offensive line, those, those plays are a good way for you to, kind of maintain rush lane integrity because you're just kind of swapping, you know, you're not, you're not vacating an area. You're just exchanging. Um, but you're forcing the offensive line to communicate and to play well together and to understand how to, how to pass one guy off and take on another. And so when you've got changes up front and you've got a rookie like Elijah Vera Tucker and you've got, um, you know, Morgan Moses is going to be in a tackle now, like maybe this is a, a good week for the Patriots to kind of pull that, out of their bag and try to put that to use. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a new duo on his blind side. So, you know, when you look at it, it's like, why not have Christian Barmore take Ter- Vera Tucker with him and then you've got Uche or Judon coming around and, you know, that it could be a tough day for Wilson, I think, if, if they do end up playing a little bit more aggressive than we saw last week. Yeah, I and I think and, one of the things, one, I, think, I just think one of the things that, that went a little bit lost is that, you know, I thought Barmore was good. Didn't you guys? I mean, what'd you see from he was yeah, great. yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say this guy Trevor uh Trevor Day just mentioned that he could be a huge game for Barmore. I believe I believe that Barmore uh was number 1 uh as far as rookie defensive lineman on uh pass rush win rate um over over the uh week 1. I think Joe Tryon whatever his last name is now, yeah. Joe Tryon uh was number 2 and he was number 1. And so, you know, to see that even though he didn't have a sack um and I don't know if he got credit for a pressure or not, but he was he was in the backfield. He was making yeah. plays um, while he was there. So that's another thing where it's like if you can – and they the Patriots have been searching for that, right? They had that a little bit in Adam Butler, but that guy in the middle of the defense that can get a push and, you know, and, and force some pressure in the quarterback's face, it was something they were searching for for years. They drafted Dominique Easley in the first round to try to get that, right? And those guys are rare. You, you don't come across those guys all the time. And so to have a guy like Barmore that can do that, and it looks like he might be able to do that, you know, consistently, um, you know, is, is huge for them. Yeah, you mentioned the name right there that 
I think it tells you how badly the Patriots have wanted that kind of presence is that they invested in Dominique Keesley, you know, before Jimmy Garoppolo, who, who they thought had a chance to be the next guy. So uh, I think Barmore, from what we've seen really since day one of camp, it, it was it was never really like a, uh, I'm not sure this guy's going to be able to get after the quarterback because it was like every pass rush drill, every one-on-one in camp, he was showing you something, even if he wasn't outright winning. He's just got this combination. It's, you know, the old, you know, cliche that every scout I'm sure is looking for, but he is quick and he is strong. And I don't know how polished he is. I'm not, you know, uh, advanced enough in my understanding of pass rush plans and hand fighting and hand placement to understand how refined he is in that regard. But man, he just knows how to move people and use his leverage and, and use his strength to be able to, to disrupt in the backfield. I mean, I think there are even moments where in week one, you could find him. Uh, and he may have even posted one of these on Instagram. That might've been where I saw it first where he, he just posted. It was really funny. Cause it was like, he posted the first, like, second and a half of a play so you even know you could if you just watch that the the part that he posted you don't even know what the result of the play was but he was highlighting the fact that he was off the line of scrimmage about a quarter or a second or a half a second before anybody else had even moved so it was like just this anticipation this instinct um that's gonna you know if if it's consistent for him and if it's not leading to you know uh, neutral zone infraction penalties like you know like that that could make him really disruptive. There are guys in the league we know that just have great get off and it, it seems like he might be one of them. Yeah, and he played he played 26 snaps, so 48% of them. But the other guy I wanted to bring up to kind of before before you go was Uche. I thought it was interesting, right? You you talked about the the kind of the combo if you have Judon on one side and Uche on the other. Uche played 15 snaps, 28% of snaps. I know he contributes a little bit on special teams. It was odd to me. It, it felt like, you know, and you know, they, they brought back Dietrich Wise for a reason, but he played, I think, 12 or 13 more snaps than him. And, you know, Dietrich Wise, you know what you're going to get out of him, right? He's long. He kind of can hold up blocks. He's, he's decent on the edge. But I think when you have a guy like Uche, um, you know, that, that bull rush he had on Eichenberg was just like, that was a man amongst boys. And, and like I said, he, they didn't really see him. I don't know if it was a matchup kind of thing, but it seems like when you're facing a team that's, was heavy on RPOs. You kind of want an athletic guy coming off the edge like that. Um, I found it interesting that he didn't play as much week one after what we thought was a really good spring and, and, and training camp. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I I do think, though, um, I don't know if it was matchup so much as it was game flow, meaning if you see the Patriots get up 17-3 to this weekend in Jersey, you could see Josh Uche on the field a lot because they're going to be in passing situations, you know, for, you know, however long. And that's a guy they want there out there in obvious passing situations. But when you're playing from behind for a lot of that game, and I'll have to go back and look, I've been so heavy into the Patriots offense and their personnel packages and tight end usage. It's a big thing on tight ends today and how they performed against nickel, how they performed against base. The Dolphins used, from what I can remember, they used a fair amount of two tight end stuff as well. So you're going a little bit heavier you're, you you want to make sure you're protected against the run. And I think Uche can play the run, but I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know if they know either because we just haven't, we haven't seen it all that much. He's so dynamic as an athlete in passing situations. You know, he can do that. Can he be, you know, what they want Matt Judon to be in terms of an every down guy setting the edge on first and second down. 
I think that's still to be determined. And, and that's probably why you see Dietrich Wise out there quite a bit is because first and second down, when you're trying to stop the run to get into that obvious passing situation on third down, you want your you want your stronger, stouter guys out there. And, and Uche, for as athletic as he is, he is a, he is a relatively undersized edge guy, for, at least for this defense. I think in a lot of defenses, he'd probably be a normal sized guy. But he's you know he's right there at that kind of two fifty line, which is usually what the Patriots are looking for. But I think across the way there, Matt Judon's probably closer to two sixty five. So um, I, I think that probably explains it spags and if again if they get out to a lead this weekend i wouldn't be shocked if if we see a lot more of him yeah it makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense uh all right last question i have i don't know if keegan or, or spags have anything else but uh i was gonna about to ask you this and uh and he came up with it instead so jj or Ramondre this week i was shocked that jj was a healthy scratch last week i really thought he was kind of going to take over that rex burkhead role um and that obviously didn't happen so Ramondre obviously puts the ball on the ground, his second career touch. Um, what do you, you know, what do you think? Does Ramondre, you know, kind of get that role again this week? Or do you think JJ takes that role? Or, you know, what do you, or they, maybe they both play. I don't know. What do you think there? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess they both could. Um, you know, I think the interesting thing with Taylor versus Ramondre, and you mentioned that Rex Burkhead role. You got to factor in special teams. And I know it's painful for people to, to even – feel like it's a consideration but it is and jj taylor while he contributes on special teams he's more of a return guy whereas stevenson they've had as a coverage guy and a pump you know protect guy and like they've had him on a variety of different units um really dating back to once he was finally available to um to practice in training camp and so you know that was something that he was really good at at college i talked to uh, demarco murray who has probably been on everybody's fantasy team here at some point in time. Um, but I talked to him a few weeks ago and he was, he was actually both Taylor and Stevenson's college running backs coach. Cause he went from Arizona to Oklahoma. Uh, but when he said, when he showed up at Oklahoma before the 2020 season, uh, basically what he had been told about Stevenson as a running back, one of the first things was he was their best kickoff guy. And then they saw him run the football. And he basically told the special teams guys, he's all set on kickoff. <laughs> we, we don't want him on kickoff anymore. We need him offensively. Uh, but you get to the NFL and you're not the guy. Now he might actually be the better fit to be the future Rex Burkhead in that, you know, Burkhead could cover. He could catch the ball out of the backfield, which is something Stevenson could do. He could run it between the tackles. He's, he's a much different build. But in terms of what he brings to the table for the team, he's actually a little bit more similar than, than Taylor is. Um, but I, I'm with you. He's so dynamic, Taylor. He's so fun to watch. I think he's really good between the tackles, uh, and I think he's special in the open field. Like, I would figure out a way to get that guy in uniform. I don't know if that means you have to – you know, I don't know, guys. Like, if, if you make him active, do you have to deactivate Gunnar Olszewski? Like, you know, like there there's a – or do you deactivate one reserve uh, offensive lineman? They needed all listen, their offensive linemen. You, you, said, you said return game now. Okay. That's what I mean. Murph, That's what I mean. Murph, cover your ears, Murph. If I have to watch Brandon Bolden take the ball from freaking nine yards in the end zone out, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna murder somebody. I, I just I don't I and, and that play right there, right? He takes it out from eight yards in, gets tackled at the twenty, and then there's a holding penalty, so it goes back to the nine. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Just take the freaking twenty five yard line. He's you're not a dynamic 
kick return guy, and he does it over and over and over again. And they keep putting out, they keep putting him out there. It's killing me. And they and they have you know, so maybe maybe it's Bolden. I I just it, because he plays the same position, but he's just he does too much for them on, on the other units. I just don't see them deactivating him. No, you you're know, right. Gunner is that they have is like a punt return guy. They also have him on the kick return, but he's like you know he's one of the up guys. Um, yeah. So I don't know, I don't know how those roles shake out. I don't know like the depth chart on all of those well enough to know who would have to be gone for Taylor to be in, but it, you know, it, maybe it's an offensive lineman. I mean, they had, they had eight linemen, I think dressed the other day. Um, they don't always do that. So, you know, we'll see, but I'm with you. I'm, I mean, I'm on the, the JJ Taylor. I really have been since really since before the draft. I remember watching him as an Arizona guy and saying, boy, he's like, I don't think I had the Dion Lewis thoughts at that point, because that was really Ivan fears who kind of, implanted those into my brain because he continues to say it but um but man he was fun to watch at arizona and then when they signed him as an undrafted guy it was like okay here we go and uh i think he can play so i think he'll be in uniform soon enough i just i think you might need an injury or something to to get that squared away i will say this about the line too you need those eight guys so you can get the practice squad elevations with the new with the new rules you need eight linemen active so that becomes a situation where it's like it's one for one running back for running back. I don't know if you can find people at other positions to really swap out. Yeah, and you might you be can, right. Like you said, injury. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good point. point. But, uh, you know, and speaking of practice squad, Nordeen this week, do you think? Just popped up on the injury report, injury. so I don't know. I know. I saw that. That was surprising. Um, no, I, I still think this is Nick Folk's gig uh, until further notice. And I think we'll probably see Nick Folk on the 53-man roster at some point because, you know, unless he's hurt, um, because they've only got, I think, one more elevation for him. So is that, a, get is, him is that an IR precursor, you think? All of a sudden, this random, mysterious injury comes up and, uh, oh, wow, look at this. He ends up on the on IR. Oh, my God. There's that's, that's been, uh, this has been a good week for the injury uh, report conspiracy theories because Kyle Van yeah. Boy came with up the throat, with a throat yeah. injury right <laughs> yeah. after he showed up on quick slants. Like, what was that? Uh, I mean, I hope he's okay. He's, he's now missed two practices with a throat issue. So, I mean, like, seriously, I hope it's nothing serious. He seemed, he seemed fine on quick slants. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs about what's going on with him there, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be folk and, and you might be right, Pat. We may end up seeing him, uh, I don't know if it's serious. Could be totally legitimate. Uh, right. What was it? Oblique? Was, did they say uh, yeah, abdomen? abdomen? I think abdomen. They said. Okay. Yeah. Um. So you know, maybe we end up seeing that in the next next few days. Yeah, you never know. So, all right. I mean, Phil, we love having you, man. Thank you so much for for coming through. We appreciate it. You're uh, being, you know, MVP dad over there, helping out, you know, with the little guy, doing yeah, what you got to do. Beating him the last uh, twenty yep. minutes. So. You know, it's uh, it's not. It, let's just say they're not veggie chips. <laughs> if they were chips, I would feel better about it. Uh well, sometimes you got to do what you, you got to do, man. You can blame us. We we sidetracked you. <laughs> nothing wrong with a late night Dorito. There's yeah, nothing wrong with it. That's right. Yeah. Oh, it's it's like almost the weekend, right? It's Thursday. Yeah, Thursday night, Thursday Thursday for him. You know what I mean? Uh, be, before you, you leave. Me. Before you leave, you got to plug yourself. Listen, everyone follows you, for God's sakes. But, you know, no, still. No, hey, it, 
there's there's too many that don't. So let's get let's get on that. Yes. Okay, let's all together at Philly Perry on Twitter. Same thing on Instagram. You can find all our writing on NBCSportsBoston.com. Uh, mentioned got a big long thing on on tight ends. Interestingly enough, guys, as you might have expected, against nickel Patriots, two tight ends on the field, they ran all over the Dolphins. Against base, the Dolphins adjusted. They started playing base against the Patriots when they had two tight ends on the field. You would think that the Patriots would throw in that situation. And they did, just not as often as you would have thought and not as effectively as they would have thought. So that's up there on the website right now. A lot of details on that, how they might use their tight ends moving forward, what they need to change there to have a little bit more production. Uh, And we've got our TV shows every single night, 6 o'clock on NBC Sports Boston. We have a football-specific television program. Uh, you can find me and Ted Johnson six o'clock Monday nights on the breakdown. We've got the game plan Wednesday nights at six and we've got our pre and post game live uh, before the game on Sunday coming up here. I'll be down in Jersey for that. So uh, hopefully everybody can tune in. Beautiful. Thanks again, man. We appreciate it. And, uh, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Sounds Phil. good guys. Thanks again right. for having me. You see you, Phil. Of course. All right. That was great. That was great. We love having Phil on. He's uh, you know, one of the guys, one of the one of the good guys, man. We love we love him around here, and he's uh, always around, so which is good. So, all right, we're gonna get into our new segment as well. It's gonna be a familiar face for you, uh, for you Patriot Nation podcast listeners. Uh, Austin Thompson's coming through with our five minute fantasy segment. He uh, was on the draft preview, so let's bring him up here. Uh, Austin, thanks for coming, man. We appreciate you. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, just because you're new to this and, and if anyone else is listening is new to this, uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock and you're going to talk about fantasy for five minutes. Uh, I have a few questions here that came in from a few uh, few Twitter people. But okay. other, outside of that, anything that you want to hit on, if you want to talk about your favorite start sit decisions or, you know, a guy that you're super high on this week or a guy you're super low on or, or whatever. Uh, and we can we can go from there. All right. So. Without further ado, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock, and then afterwards, of course, we'll let you stay and you know, plug everything afterwards. All right? So uh, so here we go. Austin Thompson, five minutes of fantasy football starts now. All right, Austin. So we had a question from uh, from actually Dark Blue Gold on uh, – oh, no, Murph, I'm sorry, on Twitter, uh, was asking if J.J. if JJ Taylor plays this week, uh, would he be a, a flex spot? Which, no, he wouldn't be. I can answer that one. But which one – which Patriots tight end – are you are you going with this week? Was the question he really had? Which Patriots? As a guy who lives week? in Tennessee, and, yeah, as a guy who lives in Tennessee, I'm not going with Johnny Smith. I'll tell you that much. Um, so I feel like it's Hunter Henry. <laughs> that's right, that's why I, I think they can be a good tandem, but I think Hunter Henry is a better one. All right, set us up on that one. I thought you were going Johnny on that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cody. Cody here is asking uh, Aaron Rodgers or Justin Herbert this week. Ooh, good question. I I don't see Aaron Rodgers playing that bad two weeks in a row. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, so I feel like I like Justin Herbert. I think he's a potentially top ten quarterback for the year. But Aaron Rodgers, too, uh, I I bet all the money on a Rod this weekend. All right, there you go. Love it. Little comeback, comeback from him. And then the last question here from uh, from Dark Blue Gold actually uh, was: um, we, Are you fading Tennessee's offense? Are you worried about that Week One performance? 
you know, Julio looked pretty rusty. Are you fading that offense? Are you sticking with it? What What are you doing here? So I, once again, I don't, I don't think Vrabel is going to have two weekends that bad in a row, but I don't know if all his players are ready. I think he's ready. I think he has a good plan, but it looks like some of the guys are just really rusty this year. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and I don't know, I don't know how I feel about Julio. I, I think Julio is a phenomenal talent. I just don't know if he has the right chemistry with Tannehill yet. And that's going to be very difficult on that aspect. Yeah, that's good. That's good thought. Yeah, I, I was nervous about Julio coming into this year, but all right. Uh, Trevor Davis yeah. about Court, Cortland Sutton. How do, how do you feel about Cortland Sutton going forward? Obviously, Jerry Judy's out, which freaking gutted me because I had him on like every single fantasy team. I was so high on Judy this year. Um, and so, yeah, Cortland Sutton, how do, how do we feel about him moving forward? I think he's no Tim Patrick. Uh, I honestly, I think that Tim Patrick is going to be the guy who gets a majority of, of the targets in this game. I like Corlin Sutton. He's a good veteran player, but I just, I think that there's something about bringing in Tim Patrick. I just, I, and I also think him and Bridgewater seem to have a bond towards the end of that game. I like that. I like that. Yeah. All right. Any, uh, what's your, what's the, the guy that you're starting this week? that everyone is kind of like on? And what's the guy you're benching this week that everyone's kind of like starting this week? So let me go up my bench because I've caught so much heat today. I'm benching <laughs> Derrick Henry. Wow. Um, I believe it's going to be a, a more so heavy offense game. Uh, and I, I don't mean heavy, not that he's not part of the offense. I think there's going to be a lot of throwing. I think they're going to try and force Julio into that game, whether it works or not. So I think that Henry, he's not going to have as bad a weekend as last weekend, but I think he's going to have not the weekend we all want him to have. I think everybody wants him to have some big four-touchdown game where he carries the entire team on his back and you know runs over everybody, but I just don't see it happening. Okay. You're in first. You know what, though? Uh, That's a great DFS one, right, where it's like stay away from him in DFS – I mean, if you're starting him in in your regular oh, totally. lineups, you're starting him in your regular lineups, right? I mean, who are you gonna who are you gonna put in over him, right? Who's awesome. your third yeah, running back, yeah. right? Quick, quick before the timer goes off, Antonio okay. Brown or Julio Jones in a flex? Who are you going Antonio Brown this week? Antonio Brown, Antonio no Brown. doubt. Yeah, I actually, I think you could play all three of the Tampa Bay receivers, which is so weird to say. Yeah, but in this game, I think I think especially in DFS, you could do it. But I mean, if you have one of the three, I I can't tell you which one I'd sit. I know, yeah. Yeah. Even after Evans last week. All right, uh, who's yeah. the guy you're starting this week? We're almost out of time. Who's the guy you're starting this week that everyone's kind of like, what? You're starting that guy? I don't know that I have a uh, Sam Darnold. I hate I hate even saying it on the internet because now there's a record of me saying it. Um, <laughs> but I have got a lot of Sam Darnold in DFS, in, in redraft leagues. And uh, I'm also starting him in DFS with a CMC and Robbie Anderson stack. That's it. There it is. There's your timer. So, <laughs> all right. That was great. Got it in under five minutes. So, hey, we did it. Yeah. We appreciate you coming through, man. Uh, thank you so much. No You've been on the show before. Friend of the show. Yeah. Uh, friend of the show. And so, uh, but before you go, you know, just, just plug yourself. Uh, everyone, let everyone know where they can, you know, read you, see you, hear you. Uh, you know, 
if it's not on if it's not on the show, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, whenever you want me on here, I'm game. Uh, but you can also find me at uh, Eat Sleep Fantasy, Eat Sleep FF. I'm the de facto editor, um, and I'm 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 doing some articles this year too. I'm actually taking over one of Clayton's articles, the uh, Start Sit article, which will come out tomorrow go. morning. Love it. Very nice. Yeah. Love it. Thank you for coming through. We, I, I'm I'm a contributor over there as well. I haven't written yep. anything yet. I'm just not. I can talk about fantasy, but like writing it, I feel like I'm unprepared to write about fantasy. I got so. it. Hey, if you want to record some clips, we'll put them up. All right. All right. That's what. That's it. Sold. Yeah. I'm sold. Cool. So, all right. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming through, man. We appreciate you, and uh, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. We'll have you on again for sure. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, man. See you. Bye. All right. Awesome. So that was great. So that was good. Solid little. Uh, solid little five minute. Five minute thing there. Uh, I think we're going to get out of here, but oh, I am Cody. That is true. I am uh, low key plugged in everywhere. It's very true. Um, I, I, yeah, uh, we are going to get out of here unless you guys have anything else uh, that you want to. No, that's no. pretty much it. I think touched upon the jets, obviously got to eat sleep fantasy, but uh, looking forward, hopefully got to get a win this weekend. I think everybody's on board with that. I agree. I agree. So one thing I wanted to say before we left um, yesterday, played in a golf tournament. I've been playing in for, Oh, well, I guess 12 years. Well, we didn't play last year, so 11 years. But a uh, friend of mine, 12 years ago now, 19 years old, uh, died in a car accident. Doing absolutely nothing wrong. You know, out with his girlfriend, took took his girlfriend's little cousin's snow tubing. And they were driving home and hit some black ice and flipped the car, and that was it. And uh, being around them and being around the family and being around everyone, you know, it's just that reminder for me to to just treat every moment right love the people around you try to try to be present with everyone and i think we forget that sometimes and you know just being with them they're like the best people in the entire world man and just being with them and and you know and obviously they they have a lot of pain and everything but his older his older uh his older brother just had a baby and so he's like 16 months old and his middle name is his brother's name and um, you know, it's this whole thing, but it's like just those, those moments, right. To, to spend, you never know, right. So spend those moments and care about them and, and, you know, be around the people that you love and really kind of spend that time because you just don't know when it's going to be up. So, uh, anyways, just, that's all I wanted to say. Just love each other. And, uh, I think we end on that. Yeah. Yeah. So love each other and, and, uh, and we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right.